I was up preaching up there. The Lord said, whom shall I send? And I said, here am I, send me. I did do a little fly fishing while I was there, caught some trout and salmon. So if I wasn't able to return your call, I was on the other line. So, but it was, it's great. I've been building a relationship with that church and preaching there for years. And um, I was actually in a thrift store the day before church, and I overheard a girl lamenting all of the problems that she was having with her um, drug addict boyfriend and just looked over and said, sounds like he needs the Lord. And she says, yeah. And she says, and I've been trying to find a church and went on and tell a story. I said, well, I'm preaching at church right around the corner here. Why don't you come tomorrow? And sure enough, she showed up. And um, so I want you to pray for Shelly. You just never know how God may put us in situations where we're advancing the gospel, which is our mission statement, advancing the gospel, making disciples who make disciples. Well, some of you didn't realize it, but you're in the middle of a, of a, of a game, but it's a serious game. You didn't even realize it. You're in the middle of what we're calling a ministry expansion project, because if you weren't here a year ago, you may not even realize that we're running plays, and some of you don't know the plays yet, because you weren't here. It's not your fault. So we're halfway through this ministry expansion project, and part of the purpose is it doesn't take rocket science to go, wow, it's kind of crowded in here. And if you think it's crowded in here, go downstairs. I mean, we've got 200 children down there. Right now, for nursery, we just have like those puppy cages, and we just put them all in there. (laughs) Just hose them down and powder them up. That's not true. Don't quote me. Don't put that on the tape. But the point is, God's working in our church. It's not about numbers, but people are getting saved. People are growing. People's lives are being changed. God's doing miracles. We, we, we're seeing over and over again the working of God, and it's a privilege to be a part of that. And so we've uh, invested in a ministry expansion project. It's not just a building campaign. We want to invest in training pastors in Africa, planning a church or doing some ministry in Trenton as well as expand our facility simply because people are coming and we're out of room. Sometimes people are like, oh, you're trying to just build a megachurch. And it's like, we're not trying to build a megachurch. We're trying to beg for your money, but we want to get on board with God. God said he's going to build his church, and we want to be a part of that. And so this morning, we're going to do two things. We're going to call it a one-year anniversary. But I thought, you know, if you have a two-year project, you don't call it a one-year anniversary. If, if I told my wife I'm going to renovate the kitchen, it's going to take me two years. One year into it, I, I, I wouldn't have a one-year anniversary. She'd be like, the cabinets aren't even up yet. So instead, we're going to call it a pre-game review and a halftime overview. The pre-game, pre-game review is because some of you don't even know, what are you talking about? Somebody, somebody said to me this morning, I love that video. Some of you are like, I already saw the video, okay? So... Basically, what we're going to do is is we're going to show a video of what this ministry expansion project looks like. We've determined that we need to have more classrooms. We want to have a a room that seats 100 people out here for educational youth and weddings, all kind of stuff. We want to have way more children's rooms. We're going to expand this facility to seat about 100 more people. It's modest. We probably need to raise... I'll let Bob talk about that, but we had hoped to raise $1.9 million. This building's all paid off. It's not like we're begging, oh, please, please give. The children have to live. But the point is, God's at work here. And so the reason that we're doing this is because we want to 
have the opportunity to reach more people, send, send missionaries, train young people, have Bible studies, help addicts, help parents, maybe have a Bible school at some point, training young people to, to, to look into Christian ministry. So with that in mind, with a lot of work and a lot of help, we put together a four or five minute video. For some of you that you've already seen it, please don't go, I've already seen this. Picture it like a Super Bowl commercial where you go, oh, that was so good. When your favorite song comes on the radio, you don't go, I already heard this, turn it off. So it'll be a review, or for some of you, because we want you to get on board. If you're going to be a part of this church, we want you to get on board. So here we have it. The mission statement of Bible Fellowship Church is that we're advancing the gospel by making disciples who make disciples. And we are committed to taking the good news of Jesus Christ beyond the walls of this church to reach as many people as we can for Christ. That's one of the reasons that we're calling this ministry project Advancing the Gospel. We're expanding the ministry of this church and expand our ability to make disciples for Jesus Christ. The primary features in this new expansion program are the additional space needed for children and youth. The classroom space, we just have particular rooms that they're filled. We don't have the space or the room for the students to come during the week, it's almost impossible to get a room to do anything in. They're, they're almost always taken. If we had everybody pray for one person that they wanted to bring to this church to hear the gospel, we wouldn't be able to fit them here. In preparation for the future, we, we realize that space is what we really need. They can't do any kind of active learning. We want them up and moving. We want them doing centers. We want them acting out the Bible. And really, there's just not enough space when you have that many children. infrastructure is going to be set in place to expand some of the programs. A space that can be used during the week for Bible studies. People being able to come and hang out and have the relationships and, and do discipleship. In the cafe, there's seating between 30 and 40 people. The large classroom that we're going to gain is going to be, I think, a huge boost for our ministry. That with this new large classroom, we'll be able to reach more students and be able to grow continually in numbers. With a large meeting space, we would have some other options for large group teaching, worship time, and then we'd still have all those classrooms downstairs. In the auditorium, there'll maybe be a seating for another additional 100 people. We trust that the expanded facility will create an extraordinary platform to continue thriving by the Lord's grace for His name's sake and the world's sake. benefit is for the next generation and our children's children. Our desire is to see families and kids loved, no matter what their age is here at Bible Fellowship. With the growth of the space, 
will come spiritual growth in the children and the students and the young adults. And we just feel like this ministry expansion will allow us to do what we're already doing and do it even better. And when the music fades, I want my life to stay. We really need to expand the ministry space here at this church so we can reach more people with the gospel. As we grow, I believe that God is going to use the kids to reach out to the community. When it comes to church growth, that's really God's business. Our job is to be faithful, to advance the gospel prayerfully and follow scripture. And so we have the potential to be able to make an impact, not just in our church, but in our community and across the world. I think God's going to take our church and us as individuals on a spiritual journey. And so we are striving to be on the cutting edge of the Lord's work in world evangelization from right here in our backyard to the uttermost ends of the earth. And it's projects like this one that are going to help get us there. It'll be fun to watch how God challenges all of us to go to another level as far as stewardship and generosity and allowing Him to work through us to advance His kingdom. I think we're poised to make a significant impact on this community and this world for the gospel and that we go on this journey together as a church. Amen. Someone said, I wanted to clap for that. You can clap for that. Okay, so if you weren't here, that was the pregame plan. You're like, oh, so that's what we're doing. Um, <clears throat> we're expanding the house. We've got too many kids. Now, secondly... I want you to think about this. All right, it's halftime now. How are we doing? So we're going to come up, and um, ESPN's going to interview Jim Patoka. Hope Jim's here. He'll give us kind of an overview of what we had hoped to, to raise and where we are in that, so we kind of have a sense of where we're going in the future. Thanks, Jim. One of the things... does not lit up though. One of the things we do like to share is transparency of what's going on with the money. And you see the red dotted line is uh, kind of what we thought with the 1.2 million that has been intended uh, or the opportunity cost here. And we see that the green line is with the actual giving for the uh, advancing the gospel campaign has come in with. So we're just slightly above. We had asked it maybe a month ago when we talked about it to uh, maybe advance the giving if you can because the project is at, was actually slated to start next spring and it's been moved up about nine months early. So this project will be done before the May 17, 2017 date comes. So the money sooner is better than money later. But we want to, uh, first of all, give thanks for the generosity for the people who have given. We've already raised 60% of the 1.2 million and we're one year in, but we had thought we were gonna be able to raise 1.9 million and we're only 40% to that number. So for what has been intended it is coming in wonderful and uh, we're 10,000 over that line 
The green star means we're on the plus side, not on the negative side, so we're real happy with that. We just wanted to, though, we know that there's been a number of people that have come to join the church in the last year and have come to the new, mem uh, new what's that called, where they show up? Newcomer, newcomer meeting. So we know there's a number of people that are not aware and have not joined the game yet. Uh, they're on the bench. And uh, we're hoping you say, Coach, Coach Bob, put me in the game. Get me in the game and be part of this in intentions and this opportunity. The last time we had a campaign was 20 years ago when we built this building. I was here even 25 years ago when we had the very first campaign to raise money to even buy the ground. This was a horse farm. So because of uh, people prior to you who gave sacrificially, we do have a nice building here. We just need to go a little bigger in order to expand some of the ministries that are currently going on as well as ministries that we haven't even thought of. So just want to thank you for your generosity so far and just give you an update on where we are uh, with our current giving. Jim, thanks a lot. Oh, I'm good with this. So in an ideal world... Churches would just get to be on extreme makeover, and we would just go away, and they would say, stay away, and then we would just come back, and they would pull apart a big screen, and we'd go, whoa, look at that, and we would move in and walk around the rooms and go, oh, but that's not how it works. <clears throat> so God has given us the privilege of being a part of this, and we want to encourage each one of you to be a part of this. And so for the next few moments, I want to take a passage from the Bible that I want you to um, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to look at an example of a church that was advancing the gospel. The Thessalonian church, in my mind, becomes an exciting example to us of what this looks like in terms of true ministry. We're not talking about bricks and mortar, but we're talking about changing lives. So if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. If you're new with us, we study from the Bible. We believe the Bible's God's word, and we want to encourage you to, to have a Bible and read the Bible so many people here are having their lives changed by the Bible. In fact, we just had 30 members in our last class. We have another 25 in this class. And Sunday night, we had another 30 in our newcomer's dinner. So the Lord is drawing people here. And to me, one of the most exciting things is that we're not shuffling the Christian deck. We're not just going, hey, let's get a bunch of people here from other Bible-preaching churches. Some people have moved to the area, and they're already believers. But many people are coming because they're not content with their lack of a relationship with God or the church that they attend isn't teaching the Bible. And those are the people that we want to welcome here to help them to have a relationship with Jesus. So <clears throat> what I want to do is take a, a few moments to talk about the Thessalonian church because in my mind, they, this should inspire you and me to say, this is what it looks like to get behind a ministry project like this. This church was founded by the Apostle Paul, and you can read about this in the book of Acts chapter 17. He went there, as was his custom, he brought the gospel to the Jews first. But the Jews persecuted him and cast him out. And so he began to share the gospel with Gentiles. Now these Gentiles were pagans. I mean, they were worshiping stones and statues. <clears throat> and it takes a lot of courage to come up to people with stones and statues and to say to them, those aren't gods. Those are idols, but there is a living God who created the heavens and the earth, and that living God has a son named Jesus who came down to this earth years ago and was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, 
and died on a cross and paid for our sins and then was resurrected from the dead. And so what God wants you to do is turn from those idols, just throw them in the garbage and begin to follow and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will forgive you. He will promise you the hope of eternal life and he will use you the rest of your life. Now, but let me remind you that this is not going to be easy. You're going to suffer. You're going to be persecuted. You're not going to become healthy, wealthy, and wise. Now, having put that out there, you would think nobody would believe that. Who in the world would say, hey, me and my people have been raised on these ancestral traditions and idols for years. Who are you to come along and say your way is right? Well, that's what God does. That's what God does with his powerful gospel. And that's what he did with the Thessalonians. Paul said in chapter 2, he said, I thank God that when I shared the gospel with you, you didn't receive it as the word of men, but you received it as the word of God. And that's what happens as people come in here. Many of them are not used to the Bible. They're going, yeah, well, who, you know, where, where do you come off? That's not what I believe. And, and who do you think you are being so judgmental? You know, I, I believe, and listen, we're not the ones claiming to have written the Bible. Don't shoot the messenger. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God but through me. We happen to believe that this message is the truth. And I'll tell you this much, that when God opens your eyes and you believe that, powerful things begin to happen in your life. And so that's our goal. Wherever you are, maybe this is your first time here, your 50th time here. If you do not yet believe the gospel message that Jesus is the only way and that Jesus will forgive you no matter what you've done and that Jesus is coming again and if you don't give your life to Jesus, you're going to go to hell, then that's the starting point. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. And so as Paul writes to these Thessalonians, what's so exciting about them is that when they received this message and they got saved, they didn't just sit around idly. Their lives were powerful and actively changed. But the verse I want to start with is in verse 8, because Paul says that when the word of God came to them in verse 8, he says, the, the word of the Lord sounded forth from you. And that word sounded forth is a word that was used of the clapping of thunder, the ringing out of, of, a, of a cymbal, a, a loud reverberating noise, kind of like when you drop a, a rock in a pond and, and then the ripples go out. These people, as they received the message and they believed that Jesus is Lord, they began to tell others. So that, Paul said, it not only went through Macedonia Achaia, every place your faith toward God has gone forth. In other words, people began to hear the word of God and they heard about the changed lives, okay? The, the, the number one way to grow a church is not through some silly dog and pony show or building a new building or having some promotional campaign or we'll give you a free TV who brings the most people here. It's when God powerfully changes people through the gospel. And when you go back to your home and you go back to your work and people see the difference that Christ made in your life, that is by far the number one way that people come to Christ. 80% of people that come to the Lord come through friends or family members. We don't have a visitation program. We don't have any slick marketing campaign. But I've been here about 10 years, and when I came, there was about probably 250, and now we have around 800 people. And that's not because of me. That's not because of Bob. That's because of the Holy Spirit working through you. That's because of what God's doing here. And I believe that God wants to expand that. He's just beginning to do that. 
So I want you to look with me at this passage because I want to challenge you to, like the Thessalonians, get on board with advancing the gospel, making disciples who make disciples. Let's look at what it looked like in their lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And as we read this passage, may we see that it makes a difference, not just back then, but for us as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What happened was Paul was only with them for about a month, and the authorities began to beat the Christians, and they made a deal that if Paul would leave the city, that they would stop punishing them to the same extent. And so Paul had to leave, and he was, he was wondering how they were doing, and so he finally sent this letter through Timothy. But in the first chapter, he, he reminds them of this powerful conversion experience. Now, I want to say something to you about a conversion experience. If you are not converted, you will never go to heaven. You're like, how dare you say that? I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Unless a man is converted, he will not see the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be converted? It doesn't mean that you clean up your life. It doesn't mean that you handle snakes and act crazy and get religious. It means that you realize that you were a sinner. You realize that you were living away from God, even if you were religious. And you're willing to turn from that and you trust in Christ. You put your faith and confidence that what he did on the cross paid for your sins and that God raised him from the dead. And you invite the Lord Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. When that happens, the Holy Spirit comes into your life, and he changes you, and that's called being regenerated, converted, born again, becoming a new creation. So the first thing I want to share is this. If you don't know whether that has happened in your life, that's the starting point, okay? If you go, gee, I don't know if I'm converted. I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm born again. That's what we're here for. We want to show you from the Bible how you can know that. Now, one thing that's important is to recognize that when people are converted as adults, it's usually pretty dramatic, it's usually pretty clear, it's usually punctiliar. In other words, they sing songs like, one day I'll never forget, oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day. But if you were saved as a child, you may not know when you were converted. And you know what? That's okay. You don't need to know when you were converted. What you need to know is that you are a born-again Christian. So don't let anybody put you on a guilt trip. If you don't remember, it doesn't matter. But if you were to die today and God says to you, why should I let you into heaven? You ought to be able with confidence to think immediately of the cross and say, because Jesus died and I trust him, he's my Lord and Savior. It doesn't matter when that happened. It just matters that you're converted. Now, one of the ways that you can look back and determine whether you were converted is to ask yourself, have I seen any change in my life? So some of you go, well, I think I was saved at three years old when I prayed the sinner's prayer. But then you go, but then I was an axe murderer till I was nine, a drug addict till I was 11. I was in a gang till I was 15. And then I rededicated my life. Well, there are evidences of conversion life-changing things that you begin to see in your heart if you're converted. For example, if you're a Christian, sin should bother you. That's a mark that you're converted. The Bible says no one who has been born again will continually sin. You won't just keep on practicing a life of sin going, hey, I'm saved, I could do whatever I want. Because as a Christian, God's spirit lives in me and sin convicts me. 
Another mark of conversion is that you'll have an affection for other Christians. Unbelievers think Christians are weird, and, and we are. <laughs> but to other Christians, we get it. We're just sinners who have been saved, who love each other. The Bible says everyone who's been born of God loves the brethren. Another mark will be an interest in the scriptures. Over and over, people will say to me, gosh, I learned more from the Bible in one day than I did all my life. That's because when the Holy Spirit comes into you and you're converted, your life begins to have an insight into scripture that unbelievers don't see. But another thing that you'll see is you'll begin to see that if a person's converted, their lifestyle's gonna change, your attitudes and your activities, okay? It might be very gradual. Maybe you cuss like it's your job, but when you become a Christian, it's not like you never curse again, but, but you're starting to change. And so some of the negative things you turn away from, but then there's a positive side of service to Christ. You begin to go, hey, I'm a Christian now. I love Jesus. What can I do to please him? And so let's look at these Thessalonians and say, hey, that's what we want our church to be like. That's what I want to be like. So let's start in verse 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. Now as Paul thinks about how he came to them and, and the life change that they experienced, he says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope, in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father. So what I want, to, want you to see here is prayer. If you are a disciple, maybe you're a brand new convert, right now you're learning to be a disciple. But God's goal for you is to then learn how to make disciples. So if you're a brand new convert, for example, God wants you to get baptized and publicly confess Jesus as your Lord in front of others. That's biblical. If you're ashamed to do that, then you got to stop and say, why would I be ashamed to say, I believe in Christ Jesus as my Lord? Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. The Bible says, confess Jesus as your Lord. But then once you become a disciple and you start to follow Jesus and you win others, you then learn to pray for them. So those of you who are a little down the line, even as a parent, you're making disciples out of your children. And one of the things that you do is you pray for them. Well, how often? Paul says, I pray, notice, constantly, always making mention. So any of you who love your kids or your grandkids, you're praying all the time for them, as natural as breathing. But expand that and think of a few people that you know that are converts and pray for them, pray for their progress. So notice as Paul thought about these Thessalonians, he thought about their changed lives. And he says, I remember three things about you. And it's related to their faith, hope, and love. When you become a Christian, you have new faith in Christ. You truly believe. You have new love for others because the Spirit is in you. And you have a new hope that, hey, I'm going to heaven. Can't wait. And no matter what happens in this life, praise God, I have the hope that Jesus is going to take me home. But if you have faith, hope, and love, it's going to... It's gonna, push you in certain directions. So Paul says, I thank God, number one, for your work of faith, right? If all you do is come and plop your butt on a seat on Sunday morning, that's not a work of faith. 
God's not, God's not like, oh, thank you. Appreciate you squeezing me in. I belong to Jesus, and so my faith should compel me to say, Lord, what can I do for you? And frankly, I'm too busy. Doesn't cut it. I'm glad Jesus wasn't too busy to go to Calvary, right? He loves us, and so part of this ministry expansion is going to be a lot of work. We're going to have to meet up there. We're going to have to set up chairs. We're going to, we're going to be shuffling things around. But then he says, I thank God for your labor of love. Yesterday, my wife asked me to do mulching in the yard, five yards. And by the end of the day, I was like, it was a lot. And my, my, my one daughter said, mommy has you really working for her. But you know what? And this is God honest truth. I had, it was fun because I love my wife. And I wasn't always that way. Okay, so don't look at me as super Christian. There were times where I'm like, ah, why don't we just get concrete in the yard? It's stupid, right? But when you love someone, you learn that you don't mind doing stuff for them. In fact, you're happy to do stuff for them. And so ask yourself, what are you doing for Jesus? What labors? Motivated by love. Jesus said, if you love me, feed my sheep. Get involved with other people. And then finally, he said, I thank God for your steadfastness of hope, your perseverance, your patience. So many Christians quit. They're like, I'm giving up on my marriage. I'm giving up on church. I'm giving up on Bible reading. God let me down. You have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and Satan, and he will pound you continually. And he wants you to give up. He wants you to go, this is a bunch of junk. It doesn't work. But a true Christian has a, has a sense that they're learning perseverance. And that perseverance is motivated by hope. Because you're going to get hurt by other people. They're not going to notice you. You're going to get tired. You're going to get disappointed. You're going to get wounded by other Christians. But if you love Jesus, you can say, Lord, help me to persevere because I have a hope that I'm going to be in heaven. And so as Paul reflected on these things, he then said to the Thessalonians, hey, listen, you know why your life changed like that? You know why you were worshiping a statue one day and the next day you're like, Paul, what do you want me to do for Jesus? He says, here's why, because God chose you. Look at verse 4. Knowing, brethren, your life was changed, and I thank God because I know, brethren, that you're dearly loved by God, and he chose you. Now, you've heard me preach on this a number of times. God chooses to save people. There's a mystery to it. If you're saved, it's not because you chose Jesus first. It's because he chose you. And he didn't choose you because he knew you were going to choose him. You were dead in your sins. You were blind. You were lost. But he loved you and he brought you to himself. And he did that because of his great love. So much love that he gave his only son. And so God doesn't view you as some loser who barely makes the cut. He views you as his chosen adopted child whom he's crazy about. And you're fully forgiven and free. And the reason Paul knew that they were elect is because of the change the gospel made. Look what he says. When I brought the gospel to you, it did not come in word only. It came in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. One time I, I talked to a group of young people. There's about 10 of them standing on a street corner and I shared my testimony with them because I knew these kids, Right? And I told them the story of how Christ had changed my life. And they all just kind of looked at me. And I walked away feeling like, man, that didn't go very well. 
it just, it just, it felt awkward. It felt like words just fell to the ground. But a year later, I got a phone call. My brother said, hey, there's a guy that wants to talk to you at Pizzeria. I went out to talk to him, and he says, hey, the last time I saw you, you spoke to us on a street corner. I said, do you remember that? He goes, yeah. I said, do you, do you remember what I talked about? We sure do. Do you remember how I talked to you about receiving Jesus? He said, I do. I said, did you ever receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I sure did. I said, when? He said, right after you talked to us. See, the word of God, the gospel is powerful. It's not our job to save people. It's our job to just pray and share the gospel with our kids. But this is what's so exciting. What God's doing here is he's taking his word and he's anointing it with the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is awakening people, young people, disinterested people, hard-hearted people, religious sinners, irreligious sinners. And this is what we need to pray for, that God will continue to expand this. And what happens is, is when you receive the word and you become a believer, right, making disciples, what did we say a disciple is? A disciple is a forgiven follower who's becoming like Christ. How do you learn how to do that? How do I learn how to become like Christ? Well, you go, I just read the Bible. What would Jesus do? And you should. But there's another thing you need to read, and look what Paul said. He said, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. So you've got two examples. You've got the, the written example of the perfect Jesus, and then you've got the visible example of the imperfect Christ follower. When I was studying for this passage, I said, that's a great parenting thought, that my job as a parent is to be an example to my kids so that they can imitate the Lord through me. And you're like, dang, that's convicting. Dang, I probably ought to change this. Yeah. But so, so what I want to encourage you to do is to consider, do you have any mentors in your life who you're trying to imitate? Because if you're going to be a disciple... You need to see people that you can be real with and say, hey, do you struggle with this? How do you handle this when your wife says this? Or, or how do you, ha- do, you, do, you, do you have a problem with lust? Or what do you do with your money? Or how do you train your kids? Or do you think I should? So, so we watch people. We see their patience and their sacrifice and their love and their witness. And you go, notice people like that and imitate them. And as you imitate them, what happens, Paul says, you then become an example to all the believers. See, the world says, lead by example. But Paul says, imitate by example. And there's this ongoing thing. Listen, so much of the Christian faith is not just taught, it's caught. I hope that my life has an impact on your lives, not simply because I spoke from the Bible but that the person that I want to be when I'm with you is the same person that I am when I'm standing up here. And I want to encourage you. That doesn't mean you have to have it all together, but spend time with your kids. Spend time with your family. 80% of people come to Christ through friends and family members, and the way that we influence them is modeling what does it mean to be a Christian. And that doesn't mean sitting around going, we just pray and read the Bible. Take them to the ball game. Have fun. Laugh. Give, share, serve. Be a model to your kids. And sometimes you feel like, am I getting through to them? And many of you know that I've been through many dangers, toils, and snares with my kids. 
But what a joy when my son writes to me many, many years later, Dad, thanks for all those Proverbs that you taught me. They didn't make sense back then, but boy, they're coming back. They're coming alive, and I thank you for that. So those of you that are training your kids, you're going, is anybody in there? Right? They're getting it. Just keep praying. So then Paul says this. As you became an example, the word of the Lord sounded forth from you. In every place, your faith toward God has gone forth. You know what really encourages me? When I hear people say, I've heard about your church. How many of you have had somebody say that to you? I've heard about your church. It's kind of scary because then you have to ask, well, what'd you hear? (laughs) I'd rather not talk about it. (laughs) I've heard about your church. Now, why? So we can go, yeah, we're the church. No, we want people to hear about our church. What do we want them to hear? We want to hear that the word of God is going out from that church. I had some friends that for three years live in this neighborhood. They're like, what's going on over that church? There's cars everywhere. What's going on over that church? I said, well, come and see. Come and see. Come and see. And finally, after three years, they came and saw. Stayed about a month, and I haven't seen them since. If you're here, sorry about that. Glad you're here. But that's all we can do is trust the Lord. So Paul says, the, 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 they themselves report what kind of a reception we had with you. You see, that word reception means an entrance. We always want to have an opportunity to have an entrance into someone else's life. And, and that entrance is often won through relationships. So think about your neighbors. Think about your friends. Think about your family members. God has something powerful he's doing here. I believe that God wants to save, and listen, I'm not teasing here, thousands of people through this church. Not so we can go, glory, look what we've done. But because God loves people, and he's not willing that any should perish. And he's not limited to save by many or few. And the Bible says he works not by might nor by power, but by his spirit. And I, and I want you to believe that with me. That as we pray, as we give, as we labor, as we forgive one another and serve together, that many, many children are going to come to Christ. That this church will be a sending center. Jesus said the harvest is plenteous, the laborers are few. That many, many people will go out into the, into the fields of harvest as missionaries, tent makers, gospel workers, Christian school teachers. That many marriages that Humpty Dumpty couldn't be putting back together again, will receive healing. That many addicts will be forgiven and set free from the power of substance abuse. And that many broken people who are depressed, hopeless, wanting to end their lives, will find that Jesus is the answer. That many, many teenagers, as they slug it out in Christian school, or in public school, will find refuge in a youth group here. That young adults will say, hey, there's something else that we can do here besides go out and party on the weekends. That Christians will say, hey, sign me up to go to New York City. Sign me up to be in a prison ministry. Who knows what God still has in store for us to expand the gospel. But I can tell you this much. Satan is going to oppose this. And so as we close, Bob's going to come and he's going to give us a final challenge. But notice what Paul says about these Thessalonians. They turn from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. 
It's halftime, and what I want to encourage you to do is serve the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord here with generosity. Serve the Lord with patience. Serve the Lord with prayer. Serve the Lord with humility. If you mess up, it's okay. We can admit it. Serve the Lord as we wait for Jesus. Listen, we may not even finish this. Jesus may come before we ever finish this, but he might not. And I hope that when this church is taken up to be with the Lord, that there will be a long chain of people that we bring with us. Amen? Amen. Our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, our enemies, Muslims, atheists, Asians, black folks, white folks, red and yellow, that this church, God's going to do something amazing. But he's looking for people who are sold out, who are all in, who aren't here looking like consumers going, I don't like that. So as Pastor Bob comes, he's going to give us our final challenge. And I want to encourage you to listen carefully to his words. Oh, there he is. I was getting worried, Pastor Bob. (laughs) So let's welcome the boss man, our, our head coach. You know, I am confident that God is in this ministry expansion project, and I'm also confident that Satan is going to put anything in our pathway to try and stop it that he can. And I'm actually speaking from experience because this morning we had our prayer time. If you were out there, a couple hundred people actually gathered out there for prayer as we dedicated this facility to the Lord. And um, Joe Rosina was praying, and he asked us all to, like, hold hands together. And I moved over, and I was holding Jim Patoka's hand, and um, Jim's a team leader for the project. And we were, Joe Rosina was leading us in prayer, and all of a sudden I started, and I'm thinking, ooh, Jim really smells bad. And... Next thing you know, I'm like, I look down, and I'm standing in dog poo. (laughs) And I'll tell you, God, I mean, as a joke, you know, just a little bit of a visual, I will say, we need to be praying, because Satan will do anything he can to keep this from happening. And as I think about this project that's coming up, you know, it's not in our hands. We're still waiting on the permits. They come from Lower Makefield Township. We need to be praying for that. It's due probably in the next two weeks. But not even that. If you look at that screen, those arrows represent so much ministry that's taking place around the world. The bottom one is from our church in Peru. We've got inner city ministry in Kensington, um, pastoral training up in Africa, vacation Bible school, Tom preaching here. That represents a lot of ministry. And that is just one snapshot in time of Bible Fellowship Church. And we are about to put an expansion project together that's going to grow this facility so that for decades we'll be able to take a snapshot of ministry and see how the gospel is being preached and spread around the world. That's why we're doing this. We are building a center. We're adding classrooms. We're adding meeting space so that we can be proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and equipping disciples, just like our mission statement says, who we will be sending out into the world. We had... um, just last week, we had an elders meeting, and we had one of our young leaders, he's in his 20s, came in and met with the elders, and he was sharing with us about an opportunity. He's going out for a one-year intensive cohort to be trained. It's through an organization called Advance, which basically is training people in church planting to multi-ethnic communities, and that's right here in our church. And so we're going to be looking at that saying, okay, well, how does Bible Fellowship Church come alongside of this? These are exciting opportunities, and that is why we're doing Advancing the Gospel. 
because as Tom mentioned, we're going to be touching Ken, I mean, over in um, Trenton um, and other places as well. We're not telling you exactly what it's going to be because we don't fully know yet. Because what we want to do is we want to follow God. We want to know where God is working and we want to follow him there as we're actively making disciples for the kingdom of God. So we're excited. But one of the things, pastors tend to really shy away from talking about money. It was a year ago that Tom and I both preached through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. I mentioned it last week in Romans chapter 15. And today, I, I realized I'm guilty of this. Met somebody before the first service, and it was their first Sunday here. And inside, I'm thinking, oh, they came on a day we're talking about money. And you know what? I shouldn't have to feel so apologetic because Jesus talked about money pretty much as much as he talked about almost anything else. Because God wants us to be generous with our time, with our spiritual gifts, and with our resources. And when we talk about putting up this new building, plus all the ministry that's coming along with it, we're, we're spending over three and a quarter million dollars through advancing the gospel. That's a lot of money. But probably well over probably two and a half million of it is going to be related to the campus expansion here. It costs money to build. But we're excited what God is going to do. But see, all of that money comes from the Bible Fellowship Church family. And it's going to take all of us being willing to sacrifice. And I realized as I was talking this morning, and Tom's talking about we're at the midpoint here. You know, when we, start, when we kick this off, uh, we had talked to consultants. We talked to other churches that have done it before. Um, I walked through it as a pastor with two other churches where you just have to, that comes with church life. And one of the things that they were giving us and one of the directions most consulting companies go with today is they do things that we weren't comfortable doing. And I didn't share this last year, but we just chose not to do it this way. But they talked about, you know, you guys need to have a big dinner, um, like $50 a head, invite the whole church family in, you present the project, you have them fill out intention cards. And we were sitting there thinking, well, if we have, you know, say, whatever, 600 people, and we pay $50 a head, and we're trying to raise money to put a building up, why would we spend money for an expensive dinner? And we just said, you know, we're just going to let our church family know what we're doing and know what the need is. Um, one leading, leading national consultant had said to me, he said, Bob, he said, you know, you'll never make your goal, he said, unless you and Tom are willing to meet with people one-on-one. -on -one. He said, what we tell our churches to do is we say, identify who are your high-capacity givers in the church, and you need to go out and make, you need to meet with them individually and ask them for what you want them to give. He said, Bob, there's people in your church who can give $100,000, but you're afraid to ask. I'm like, I'm not going to sit down with our church family and ask for money. It just didn't sit well with us. So we said, well, no, we're not going to do that. But one of the things we were saying was we need to get the word out to the church family that it's all of us coming together to make this happen. Why? Because we're committed to making disciples and advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as I'm speaking to you today, I realize I'm probably talking to a couple different segments of people. Um, Tom mentioned that we had, we had a big turnout at our um, newcomer's dinner a week ago today. There were 32 new people at the newcomer's dinner. Our new members class just ended last Sunday. There's about 26 people coming into membership with the new members class that just ended. The newcomer's dinner before that had over 30 people that attended the class. There's a lot of people between our two services that weren't here a year ago when we presented Advancing the Gospel. So we need to make sure we keep communicating what it is that God is doing through this. There's also people that filled out intention cards a year ago. Um, 
We did find out, I don't know who gives a dollar. None of us do. As pastors, elders, we don't know who gives what. But we do know, like, well, this much was committed in intention cards, and this is much has come in. And there's probably over a dozen people that have already exceeded their intention card amount. Um, there's people who chose not to fill out an intention card last year. Um, maybe you financially couldn't, or maybe your heart wasn't into the project. Um, and then there's others that you filled out an intention card and you're on your way to fulfilling that intention. But I, what I want to ask is, Tom had mentioned, actually I think Jim put up the slide, and it said that, you know, when, when people have analyzed our church and looked at our giving records, they said, you know, you could probably, could probably raise about $1.9 million as a goal. And our intentions came in at $1.2 million. So you have to ask, well, are we disappointed as a leadership? And the answer to that is no. Um, you think about $1.2 million, it's a lot of money. And what I want to say, if you take anything away from what I'm sharing with you this morning, it's this. Thank you. I want to thank our church family because I'm looking out at people, and so I have no idea who it is, but people that are giving sacrificially. And we as a leadership appreciate that so much, and we want to say thank you. And our church, yes, you, you, we should applaud for each other. But what I would like to say is if you weren't here a year ago and you haven't given to advancing the gospel, we want to invite you to get on board. If you chose not to participate last year, this is a meaningful project. We would love to invite you in the final year. We have one more year left to get on board. You know, maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, you know what, we've been giving and we put in the intention card of this. You know, we could do more. We know we could. And I want to ask you to pray about that. Because as a church, I really believe that we can exceed the $1.2 million in intentions that came in. And every amount that comes in is going to help us for the future. My mind last week was racing. I'm sitting here thinking, man, we got this young guy who's interested in multi-ethnic church planning. And, you know, we're talking about expanding our facility. Wouldn't it be really cool if we started a multi-ethnic church service like Sunday afternoons when the church is empty? Who knows where God is going to lead us, but that's the kind of thinking we need to have. Uh, two weeks from now, I'm going to be flying out to Minneapolis for a week to the main office of the Evangelical Free Church for a conference called Multiply. It's a conference on getting evangelical free churches around the country to multiply churches. And that's how God wants the kingdom of God to expand, and it's exciting, and that's the direction that we're moving. So anyway, I, what I want to do is I want to close the service today by just giving us a challenge to get on board, wherever it is that you're at, and pray. The most important thing that we can be doing through this is prayer. Wouldn't it be awesome if we find out that six months from now that one or two or three construction workers that happen to be just coming to this job site end up meeting Jesus Christ because they came to do work at Bible Fellowship Church? So we have all kinds of opportunities ahead of us. If you weren't here last year, we have these out in the lobby on the same table. By the way, if you haven't picked up your, everyone, just don't assume you have them unless you pick them up in the last three weeks. There's giving envelopes out there for advancing the gospel. If you haven't picked them up, we're going to have to mail them out, which is going to cost us money. Take a look, see if yours are out there and grab it. But on the same table are these two pieces. This brochure, it tells exactly what we're doing with advancing the gospel. It even shows the layout of what the future building is going to be. Um, by the way, you're not going to be able to look out the windows for a little while. Probably in August, we're going to have to close up the windows, and we're going to be building out in that direction, building out in that direction. We're going to lose 
We're going to lose our kitchen. We're going to lose our woodside room. Um, we're going to be moving out that direction as well. A lot's going to be happening. Bear with us. We have to cancel ministries. We have to move ministries. We have, there's a lot. That, we have to go to the school for a little while. Um, we're going to have to put our kids in the portable classrooms because we're going to lose the downstairs for probably five, four or five months. And um, it's all going to be changing. Just flow with us. How many churches get the privilege to do this? So pray for us as we go through it. The other piece, this one here, it's a 20-day study on stewardship, and it's really about our hearts. Generosity reflects our hearts as disciples. If you ever heard of Redeemer Presbyterian Church, Tim Keller's the pastor. They wrote the material that's inside of here. We loved it. We called them up and we got permission, so we actually have the, just, we referenced them on there, but they told us, yeah, sure, you can do what you want, put it in your own format, and, um, and we did, but it's a 20-day study on stewardship and fin finances. They're on the table on your way out. Um, use them. We printed them up. Don't let them go to waste. I want to close the service again, though, by saying thank you to everyone who's already been giving. Thank you to those who have been praying. We have one year left in this. Let's keep praying and come on board with the financial help to make it happen because we believe that God is in this and we're being faithful to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege that it is to be part of expanding your kingdom. Lord, it's not us that's doing the kingdom work. It's you that's doing the work of changing lives, transforming lives, and spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. But Lord, you chose to do us, use us. You chose to use sinful people just like we are, imperfect as we are, to carry out the message of communicating the gospel and making disciples. Father, we were just we're thankful that we could com com uh, just commit this whole facility expansion to you as we did this morning. Lord, we thank you for those who are on board. We thank you for each and every person that you've brought to this church. And God, as we go forward with this project, may we be faithful to you every step of the way. And we pray that through it, Christ and not us would get the glory. Amen.